Hey there, and welcome to the 680 News Podcast. I'm your host, John Mace. On this weekly program, we take a look at some of the week's biggest stories, offer you an inside look at our operations here downtown Toronto. We also try to have a bit of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. The city strikes first in the war against raccoons. Scarborough has been issued new green bins, said to be raccoon-proof. We talk to one of the designers of the bin, a prof at York University, and ask if the bins are up to the test. I bet they're not going to be able to do it. Certainly no working that I said could do it. Cottage country traffic heating up, and up come the boats and the trailers. Hoping to avoid any expensive spills, two of our traffic specialists talk to an expert about properly securing your goods. Well, so that's uh, idiot-proof, basically, like my style. Just about. Just about. <laughs> well, Craig, I think you really better <laughs> rethink that comment. <laughs> Rob Valentine and Daryl Dahmer talk to Rack Attack, based here in Toronto. And finally, ahead of the TFC home opener and a newly renovated home field, I ask our footy fanatic Mike Leach what fans can expect this season. It's imposing as is. Mm-hmm. It's going to be even more so this year. Stay tuned for everything you need to know about 2016 at BMO Field. But first, the war wages on. This week, improved green bins have been rolled out in Scarborough. Mayor John Tory says they're raccoon-proof. What we're trying to do is make sure that we don't contribute to fattening them up by making easily available green bin waste, which then has to be cleaned up by people. If they have a bit of a problem with their diet, that's their problem. So we want to know, are they indeed raccoon-proof? Do we really have a war on our hands? To answer these important questions, I tracked down Dr. Suzanne McDonald, a professor at York University who had a hand designing the bins and specializes in animal behavior. Suzanne, we talk about raccoons all the time. They're making headlines constantly. We just want to know, do we indeed have a problem on our hands, or are we just sort of having fun with this in the media and blowing it out of proportion? So I think there's a little of both there. I think we are just having fun with it, because it is kind of fun to think of John Tory declaring war on raccoons. I thought that was great. But there really isn't that much of a problem. Other cities have high raccoon density, so do we. I think we have a high population, and whenever you have that, there's going to be some people who are unhappy, and they can be very vocal. I did a a survey of GTA residents' attitudes towards raccoons, and I asked them specifically, do you think we have a problem? And about half of them said yes, and about half of them said no. So you mentioned it there, compared to other cities, say compared to other Canadian cities or other megacities, you know, Boston, L.A., New York, or anything like that, do, do you think we really have that big of a problem? Well, we have a lot more raccoons than those cities that you mentioned. So Chicago has a lot of raccoons. Washington, D.C. has a lot of raccoons. Vancouver has a lot of raccoons. They don't even talk about them there. But L.A. doesn't have raccoons, and Boston, I don't think, has very many. So we have a higher density than many other cities. But we are really spread out, and we have lots of trees. So we have lots of places for raccoons to live, which is a good thing. I think that we should be kind of happy that uh, wildlife likes our city. That means it's a very livable city. Of course. So... They're very intelligent. I've heard that raccoons even know when garbage day is in certain neighborhoods. Is there any truth to that? Absolutely. Many animals, many species will be able to figure out regular food resources. So if things come out at particular times of the week, they'll they'll know what days those are. Happens in zoos too, so animals know when their feeding time is and when certain things happen during the week. But so absolutely raccoons know when your garbage day is and they are very resourceful, so they will take any advantage they can to get into your garbage. So it's really up to us to make sure we lock our garbage down because otherwise they see it as a great opportunity to have a snack once a week, and they thank you very much for that, I'm sure. So they're really not your average bear, though. Like, they are quite intelligent, right? They are quite intelligent. As a species, they've been studied by psychologists for over 100 years, And the fellow who studied them almost 100 years, actually over 100 years ago, 
compared their memory ability to human children and almost better than monkeys, certainly better than dogs and cats. And certainly in my experience, they have some pretty amazing mental abilities. They can remember where things are. They're really good at figuring out how to get into things. They're very persistent. They work at problems for a long time. Not very many other species do that. Probably they do it because they have great hands. So they've evolved these amazing little hands that they can feel with in the dark. And so they can use those hands almost like monkeys do. They don't have opposable thumbs like primates do, like we do. But um, pretty close, so they can do all sorts of things with those little hands, like get into your garbage can. So you said they're in your own experience now. Do you have uh, pets, or are you talking about experiments with them? Uh, yes. So I've done um, work with raccoons for about the past five years, and my most recent study was looking at comparing problem-solving abilities of urban raccoons and comparing them to country raccoons, so they're country cousins. And the urbans did much better on the figuring out how to get into particular, you know, items that had food hidden in them. They worked at problems much longer, they came up with more strategies, and they were much more successful than their country cousins were. Okay, so the reason they're up again in the news this week, we've got new bins that rolled out in Scarborough, the new green bins. And I don't know if you've seen the video, but you pretty well have to have it completely tipped down, upside down to be unlocked. So, you know, it's designed to open that way for when it is collected. Now, there's a recent poll I saw that about 30% of those polled believed in the raccoons and that they'll be able to figure out a new way around this green bin. Do you know about the bin? Do you think they can crack it? Uh, I actually tested the prototypes in my backyard for the city of Toronto. Oh, cool. Um, so I know a lot about this green bin. Okay, good. Helping design it in the first place to testing it at the end. And I was at the event yesterday where the, the mayor introduced it. So I am very familiar with this green bin. And the bin is not built to outsmart them. It's actually built to outwit their physical capabilities. So, I mean, they're pretty darn smart. They will figure out stuff, but they can't grow bigger and they can't get big biceps. So, and they can't get opposable thumbs. I mean, if they do, we have other issues to think about, I think. Um, but currently, no raccoon could get into that bin by holding it upside down. It is far too bottom heavy. They can't even knock it over. So I had them in my backyard for a week. I had dozens of raccoons attempting to get into these <laughs> bins and not one ever succeeded even in knocking it over. So I'm sure they will try mightily and I'm going to study that this summer. So I'm going to have cameras up watching them in the city streets as they try to figure out what the heck these new contraptions are. Um, so I'll be able to tell you, but in my, in, I bet they're not going to be able to do it. Certainly no raccoon that I studied could do it and I can't figure out how they physically could manage it. Okay, well, that's promising, but does it raise other concerns? You know, I'm worried that if we're taking away, you know, one of their main food sources they've depended on for so long, are things going to get ugly? Are they going to start doing other things for food? Well, I don't think so, and that's why I'm going to study them as well. So not only to see if they can get into your garbage, to, to see if this changes the density of raccoons, so will they have fewer babies if they're not quite as fat? That's probably a good thing. Um, and also to see if, you know, if they're having extreme frustration attacks because they can't get into these bins if they're going to take it out on other things. I don't think so. The green bins are not a, con they're not a continual source of food. I mean, we put them out once a week. Most people's bins are pretty well secured. They do get into some of them, but it can't be their only source of food. So I don't think we're going to end up with raccoon corpses littering the streets of Toronto or anything. And I do think that what might happen is that it will cut down the extra food they get, which will make them thinner and which will make them have fewer babies. And I think that's kind of, we all will appreciate that if we had 
you know, maybe just a slightly less dense number of raccoons in okay. Toronto. That wouldn't be a bad thing. I'm in the West End uh, near High Park, so there's, there's a lot of them. And I currently have a family living under my front porch steps. So what advice, if any, do you have for anybody who comes into contact with a raccoon, especially, you know, a mother can get very territorial and aggressive. How should we be dealing with these raccoons if they become a problem? Well, first of all, stay away from them. Okay. So, you know, they do look cute, and especially the babies. I know they're so cute, but please stay away with them, uh, from them, especially when the mother has her baby. She's very nervous. She's very she's trying to protect her babies. When the babies are born under your step, just wait. They'll grow, and then she'll move them. So raccoons have around 10 den sites in your neighborhood. So when they move out of one, they just go to another one. It's not oh. like they move away. <laughs> They're just moving to another den site. So they will move. If you make it uncomfortable for them in in your backyard, they'll move to another backyard. It's the last resort I would call a humane wildlife uh, specialist, and they will make sure that your house is secure so that they can't actually get under your porch. Okay, and to finish, Suzanne, do you think you know we can all live in harmony? We, of course we can. The raccoons were here first. <laughs> They're just a really cool little animal trying to, you know, make a living in the city just like the rest of us. So if we respect them, we, we make our houses raccoon-proof, as raccoon-proof as possible, and don't leave our garbage out to tempt them. They will just live their lives, and we shouldn't see them. But, you know, if you give them an inch, they'll take a, they'll take a meter. <laughs> so don't leave anything out for them, and and don't give them any food, and everything should be fine. We can all live together. Okay, great. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. Over the next 18 months, half a million bins will be distributed throughout the city. In protest, the raccoons will be holding a candlelit vigil. Now, it may be surprising to you, but some of the worst delays we see on the way up to the cottage are due to lost canoes or trailers on the highway. Our coverage of cottage country traffic is right around the corner. To prepare, we reached out to an official on securing your valuables to your car. I turned the mic over to two of our traffic experts, Daryl Dahmer and Rob Valentine. The year was 1959, and Sandy by Larry Hall was a huge hit. I'm a and strangely enough, Rob Valentine, with us today is a gentleman by the name of Craig Sandy from Rack Attack in Toronto. Hi, Craig. Hey, hey Craig. So, Rob Valentine, have you ever put anything on the roof of your car other than a coffee? Um, my kids once when we were going up to the cottage. <laughs> we don't recommend that. <laughs> really? Oh, you don't? They liked it. It was airy. <laughs> so, so, Craig, uh, it's coming up to the summer season. People yep. are going to be starting to go to the cottage. They're going to be going down to the beach. Maybe there's not going to be enough room inside their vehicle, and they think that they need a roof rack. You've got everything you need there. What are the tips? What are the safety features? And how will you help people when they come in to see you? Well, Darrell, the, the first thing you need is you've got to have a good quality roof rack, like a set of crossbars on your car. Uh, if you've got a, a bare roof like a, a Honda Civic or something like that, the car... We can put roof racks on that car. If you've got something that's got raised side rails or flush side rails like an SUV, we can put racks on those cars. Some cars have what are called fixed points. Mercedes, BMWs, little doors that opens up. We can bolt something right to the roof. Or even if they have crossbars, we can get accessories to help them carry their bikes, their boats, their cargo safely and securely to where they want to go. How long, from, from the time they come in, how long does it take to put a rack on a car? And, and I'm, I'm assuming that you've got all sorts of options for different cars. Absolutely, yeah. There are vehicle-specific fit kits. We've probably got over 400 different fit kits to fit vehicle-specific cars. From the time they come in the door, Daryl, it'd be probably 45 minutes, maybe an hour. From the time we show them the rack, we make the decision, we install it, we put it on, and we show them how it works, and then they're on the road. 
Now, just uh, just a second, Daryl. Uh, not just a rack we're talking about. Do you have those uh, those big shell things, like the big turtle shell, where you can stuff uh, all kinds of stuff in there? I know with we did the same thing with uh, with our kids years ago. Where no, we didn't put our kids on for real. Oh, good. We, we, <laughs> That's we, not we what I heard. recommend the kids inside there. No, we really don't. But yes, we have we've got ten different boxes usually on display. We've got three stores: one in Vaughan, one in Mississauga, and one in Toronto, Leaside. So we have the boxes in stock. We have them on display from. 13 cubic feet all the way up to 22 cubic feet. So it depends on what you want to carry. But, yeah, we've got a box for anybody's needs. A lot of people you see on the highways, uh, they hold stuff down to the roof with bungee cords. Ow. Oh, yeah. The uh, And uh, consequently, there are thousands of bungee cords on the side of the highway because these things tend to let go. How are yours fastened to the roof? Okay, so let's, let's say, take example, somebody wants to carry a kayak uh, up to the cottage. Uh, you've got a set of crossbars. You might have a set of saddles that the kayak rests in, and you've got a heavy-duty strap that goes over the front bar and over the back bar. And this is really key, Daryl, is to get a bow and a stern line. So a bow line runs from the front of the boat to the front of the car and a stern line from the back of the boat to the back of the car. So you've got those boats securely attached to your roof. So if you go past a couple of transports, the wash, the, the wind from the transport is not going to push the, the boat around on your roof. So you definitely want to do it like that to travel safely. But the actual crossbars themselves are bolted to the uh, car, are they? Well, it's going to depend on what your car is. If it's, if it's a bare roof car, use a Honda Civic as an example, there are vehicle-specific clips that clip around the door frame, and these are made in the same shape as the door frame. So they're, they're made for that particular make year and model of the car so those are secure um if it's a, a an suv that's got a raised rail on it we've got something that securely fastens to that raised rail so that it's not coming off and you can safely mount your bikes or your boats or your cargo to those crossbars all right so we've talked about the top of the vehicle what about uh, bikes being carried on the back of the cars how do you accommodate that Great, great option. Great option, particularly for families that they've got SUVs or minivans that are high and they don't want to put the stuff on the roof. We recommend you get a trailer hitch, a bolt-on trailer hitch that can be bolted to the frame, the underside of the vehicle, so that stays on the vehicle, and then that becomes your platform, Daryl, where you can insert a bike rack to carry two, four, five bicycles on the back of your vehicle with safe. And Craig, is that, is that removable? Can you move that out as soon as you get to the cottage, or does that have to stay on the vehicle the entire time? You can take the bike rack off, Rob, no problem. They usually they'll either unbolt or more and more of the bike racks have what they call no-tools installation. You simply unlock the lock knob, you loosen it, and then you can pull the bike rack off your minivan and set it aside if you want to drive around for ice cream on the weekend. Well, so that's uh, idiot-proof, basically, like my style. Just about. Just about. <laughs> well, Craig, I think you really better <laughs> rethink that comment. <laughs> so it's possible then uh, uh, somebody can come into your shop, they can get a roof rack that's going to stay in place, it's going to be safe and secure, and also they can put their bikes in the back, so uh, there's no need to uh, rent a, um, a trailer or anything else like that. With mirrors and stuff like that, I guess there's no options. You, you wouldn't need anything because everything's very clean and self-contained. Everything is clean and self-contained. Daryl, and what I should mention is that we do install trailer hitches, bolt-on trailer hitches at all three of our stores. So we can do it. We can put the hitch on. We can show them the bike rack. They can choose which style they like. Some of them swing away with the bikes on them. So you can open your back hatch. You don't have to take the bikes off when you stop at a gas station or to let the dog out. They're lockable versions. Get your bikes to and from the cottage safely, securely. I really like what you're saying because I've seen a couple of occasions where kayaks have been spread all over the highway where motors didn't have them securely put down. So this is one of the safety features, and we're going to be talking with Sergeant Kerry Schmidt from the OPP about securing your loads. So Craig Sandy from Rack Attack in Toronto, thank you very much for the day. And uh, by the way, I think maybe 
maybe Rob would like to drop his kids off for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you do babysitting too? That's well, it. We, we can put them to work, Rob. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Perfect. Thank you. That was Daryl Dahmer and Rob Valentine, our morning traffic team. Now, Double D just mentioned there we'll be speaking to OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt soon. We'll indeed have that piece for you on next week's episode. After eight games on the road, the Toronto Football Club is coming home to a newly renovated venue. Now, if you take the Lakeshore or Gardner, you may have seen the work being done. So we're wondering, is it going to be done on time? I caught up with our resident footy fanatic, Mike Leach, about how the Renos will enhance the fan experience at BMO Field. All right, Mike, thanks for joining me. So you're a footy fan, but also you have a technical job here at 680 News. You're a technical producer. What is that? What is that? <laughs> I uh, do air traffic control for the morning show. Okay, cool. So what you hear on the air, it's my work that puts it there. <laughs> The talent we have on that show is incredible, so I just try and get out of the way and let them sound good. So this is for the morning show, so you're up at the crack of stupid, right? 2 a.m. 2 a.m., Monday to Friday? Yep. And is that, is that working for you? You've been doing it for a while, so you must have got it down to routine I've been doing it for over now. eight years, yeah. Okay. For over eight years, it's, um, yeah. I, it works with my schedule. i got young kids, so they usually go to bed around the same time I do. Although at six and eight, it's not going to be too long before they're up later than me. Right. Well, it's sort of a thankless job, but the morning show always sounds good, so you're doing a fine job there. But uh, also, our listeners sometimes hear you doing pieces about TFC, about footy, which is what we're here Mm -hmm. to talk about today. So we're nearing the home opening for TFC, so is construction going to be ready on time? I know you can see it from Lakeshore Gardner. There's still some cranes on the skyline there. Is everything ready? Yeah, I mean, I drive past it every day. When I drive in dark and early in the morning, they have the, all the lights on on the west side right now. The east side doesn't look like it's quite complete. It looks like they're still hanging some speakers and lights up there, and they, you know, as we sit right now, it's just over a week. It's a week tomorrow. Okay. TFC plays their home opener after eight games away. It looks good. It it with the lights on at night, it looks phenomenal. It desperately needed an upgrade and needed an update. And I give MLSC credit and the city of Toronto. They've done a fantastic job with it. It it looks phenomenal. Outside of the south end, canopy is too high above the seats, and that I believe is for to allow for temporary seating for major events like the Winter Classic. Okay. So we're talking about lights. You've mentioned speakers. What else has been put in for this season? Phase one of the uh, renovation, they put uh, the upper deck on the east side, 8,500 new seats. They also made a lot of modifications that you won't see unless you go into the stadium. New suites, new restaurants and clubs. They put in the Tunnel Club, uh, which is right pretty much outside of Toronto FC's dressing room. So for people that have access to that area, it's pretty cool experience because they can basically stand right beside the team as they're going out the tunnel, hence the name the Tunnel Club, out to the the field. And there's a, a really sort of nice bar area in there as well. They did put in new concourses that, that go all the way around, new sort of beer gardens on the south end. What they did is they put what they're calling canopies over top of the east, west, and the south ends. Okay, that, that big awning that's way over top yeah, of the bleachers, Yeah, right? it, it'll keep people dry, or at least that's the, the hope, is that it'll keep people dry. Okay. Um, because that's been a major complaint for TFC fans is that it wouldn't be a TFC season without a lot of rain. Okay. 
And, you know, another thing is they call BMO Field a fortress for Toronto FC, and that's because of the noise that's generated by the fans. It's going to be amplified, you know, two, three times because those canopies are going to keep the sound in the stadium rather than just having it go up and, and into the air. Those canopies will will create a very loud and intimidating experience. And having stood on the field last year before they even installed these canopies, just looking up from the West Tunnel and looking up at the wall of seats with the upper deck on the east side now, it's imposing as is. Mm -hmm. It's going to be even more so this year. A lot of our listeners maybe haven't been to a TFC game. Now, just before we started recording, Mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, you go with your kids, you're in a standing section. Uh, so, so talk to me a little bit about the experience of going to a game. I hear they're pretty rowdy. Is that generally, right? <laughs> generally, I sit in the press box. Okay. But I do usually once a year take my kids down, and we sit in the supporter section, okay. section 112 down in, in uh, the Red Patch Boys area on the south end, the lake end of the stadium. Um, we don't sit. We stand for the entire game, and it's a lot of fun. Cool. The myth or, or the uh, the sort of rumors of rampant drunkenness and rowdiness are a l- little bit overplayed. Okay. There is obviously drunkenness. As, as with any there venue that sells beer. There is singing, there mm. is chanting, there is throwing of streamers. It, it's, it's a passionate atmosphere. That's why I would call it. It's not a menacing atmosphere. Excited, Get out if you haven't been week. to BMO Field, or even if you haven't been in a few years. Get out there. The, the, the stadium looks great. The experience is going to be great. And the entertainment value for the dollar is unmatched in this sporting market. Awesome. Period. Great. Uh, I know the Jays did a lot last year, and we're hoping they'll start to find their winning ways again. The least we won't talk about them. Let's go Raptors. We the North right now. Yep. TFC, the value for the dollar is unmatched. Having a player as dynamic as Sebastian Jovinko, he looks great on TV. To see him actually with your own eyes, up close and personal, is unbelievable. This guy is an incredible talent. He's a superstar. There you go. I'll see you there. Thanks a lot for the info, Sounds Mike. Good. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. No problem. That was our footy expert, Mike Leach, who went on to tell me TFC sit atop the MLS power rankings. He says we're off to a great start and expects the squad to make an aggressive playoff push. Well, that's our show today. Thanks a lot to you for listening and to all my contributors and guests this week. A reminder that we'd love your feedback for future episodes. You can send your comments or story ideas to at JohnMace680News on Twitter, or you can reach the listener line at 416-872-6800. Your recorded comments could make it onto future episodes. I'm John Mace, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 